You know, I thought a lot about the comment I was going to use to open this week's episode because I didn't want it to sound uh, some sort of like backhanded compliment or whatever. And I'm kind of achieving that by prefacing it. But earlier this week, I was at a Halliburton conference and I was thinking, man, if only those those like those clothing optional vegan hippies that I lived with in college could see me now that, that I was I was hanging out here. <laughs> Like doing all, like all, all, all the people, all the companies, large organizations from government to private sector that I go call on. Like it's just, it's just so odd to reflect that, uh, you know, back, back in the college mindset when you're, you're clearly not eating enough meat to fuel your brain as, uh, I think it was Nietzsche who covered that extensively in a very scientific method. He of the all sorts of like, uh, medicines on his counter and walking the Swiss Alps. Uh, but, you know, just just things seem a lot more simple and straightforward when you're uh, when you're just you know feeling feeling the breeze cross your your little dangly bits and uh, enjoying enjoying some homemade hummus. And as I recall, the problem they always had was you know you, you have to cook beans a lot longer than you think, otherwise they come out crunchy. That's that's my tip for this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, our our uh, our alma mater was was in the. News this week, and and uh, actually, uh, the Australians picked up on it, and uh, the I was in New Zealand, and they picked up on it as well. So, way to go, University of Texas! Oh, you famous. mean you mean that you can like have a open carry there, or is it concealed? I forget which one, or both. No, it was the counter protest. Oh. I think we should leave it at that and make people look <laughs> it up and not say what the counter protest was because it was. Uh, it's definitely not safe for work. I'll tell you that. Uh, it's, but it, uh, it's an... <laughs> it, it, it was also apparently the largest counter-protest ever huh. for a concealed weapon. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I wonder, just goes I wonder what drove that. Was it the way the of uh, the protest, or was it the subject? I mean, maybe I guess both. But I don't know. But you know, it it, it kind of blew up on my my Facebook feed, and I have a uh, uh, let's say. Uh, Folks like my parents, <laughs> and and I was like plus one in these things, like yeah. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, so so YouTube news. Uh, um, I was in New Zealand this week. Oh yeah, extensively. How did that go? Did you? Yeah, did you have in- to use a passport. This is what everyone's been yeah. hanging on tinter hooks of the edge of their chair to mix metaphors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people actually commented um, in real life. So did you finally have to break out your passport? What? <laughs> I was like, what? Wow, we're famous. So was, we're famous. Yeah. Uh, you're, so you're I, like, I ah, I see my podcast has preceded me. Yeah, uh, clearly, clearly Software Defined Talk has nurtured the New Zealand scene for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I uh, had used the passport. Um, I uh, still... I almost missed my flight. Uh, my Uber driver got lost. Um, and then my Uber driver last night coming home got lost. So it seems to be a recurring theme here. No Google uh, Maps down in Australia? What's going on? <laughs> we've got Google. We've got Waze. Uh, just not Amazon. No. <laughs> yes, just not Amazon. We had. I went to this uh, AWS meetup, and, and a guy gave an, an IoT presentation that was really great. But he, he started it with this nice Amazon video. Uh, talking about all the great things Amazon does with their, you know, drones and robotic uh, factories, and I just want to like, you know, raise my hand. Like, 
you guys don't have any of that here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not in this commercial. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, things are going well. So so tell us, how was New Zealand? Is this the first time you've been there? Absolutely. It was uh it was my first time. Uh yeah. we, we went to uh we went to Wellington. Um I liked Wellington a lot. It was uh apparent, apparently they're famous for their horizontal rain because it's so windy and rainy uh-huh. and cold, but uh it didn't rain. It didn't rain. So uh, that was nice. Um it's uh now, right now on, is that is that is that due to its rotational position on the earth that the rain is horizontal? Is this kind of like a toilet's flushing backwards situation? <laughs> no, I think it's the fact that, you know, they're a harbor on the ocean and uh, uh, you know, they got big mountains around them and uh really really nice little town. Um just uh not not a, not a lot of room to expand, so they're uh, pretty con, you know condensed and got to walk around do a little bit of tourist stuff. So uh, I liked Wellington a lot, um, and then and uh, went to Auckland. Uh, Auckland's a lot bigger. Um, I'm not sure. It felt like probably about a million and a half people or so, and kind of spread out uh, uh, a lot like Honolulu if you've ever been there. Like the only urban like Honolulu is the only urban thing in Hawaii. You know, everything else is kind of. Mm. sprawled out across the mountains and not very dense, but Honolulu, you know, has, has overpasses. <laughs> right, right. Every, every other part of Hawaii, right. as I understand it, is owned by a billionaire. And uh, maybe Honolulu is where, uh, where the regular people can go. No, no, no. I mean, the Honolulu had like, well, Auckland had, you know, big skyscrapers and um, factories and, and all that fun stuff. And uh, uh, I don't know, just more, more of a big city feel. And and I, I think I think as as longtime listeners and true fans will know, Matt Ray just traveled to the land of Power Rangers, where pretty much every Power Ranger show is filmed. So it must have felt like you were just waiting. You were like, I want to throw out a tip for for any security personnel here. You might want to just get really big off the bat because your enemy is just going to maximize <laughs> their size. So just don't dick around with the little regular size fighting. Just go big right away. Go big, yeah. Um, I didn't see any Power Rangers. I mm. did see a fair amount of Lord of the Rings stuff, oh, uh, especially you. in the airports. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to put that in the show notes. I got a nice photo of of, of Gandalf on an eagle. Um, mm. I, I, I should have taken the picture of the the dwarven statues at the uh, Wellington Museum. I mean, at the uh, uh, Auckland Airport. You know, they're 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 very proud of of their movies. Well, that well, that is that, is, that is just a crime. They should be proud of their Power Ranger heritage as well. I think I think I think that's something to celebrate. Would you, will there be a Power Rangers Lord of the Rings crossover movie, mm-hmm. kind of like Alien vs Predator? Like so somehow they all come together in, in some like universe. It, I think now that that right there, box office gold. Yeah, one one does not just shoot uh, rockets out of their motorcycle. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Power Rangers in your Hobbit hole movie at eleven. That would be great. Uh, yeah. Well, well, that's that's great. You know, speaking of Power Rangers in your Hobbit hole, down down south of us, the news today was that our 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 friends at Rackspace have are being acquired by uh, by I guess the God of Music and Reason by Apollo for four point three billion. 
And you know what I wanted to look up ahead of this, and and maybe maybe you guys being the mavens of cloud news that you are, know off the top of your head, but I wanted to compare four point three billion to the the revenue that AWS and others have, and see like what how how the entire value of the company compares to the the revenue that other public clouds have had. And I think, I mean, that's kind of sounds like a dick move to make, but I think it's a good way of contextualizing <laughs> it, and and in the sense that like, was it last week that we talked about the IaaS Magic Quadrant? Uh, now, mm-hmm. where, where essentially the proclamation from the uh, uh, the Stanford set was that like uh, the public this phase of public IaaS is over and Amazon and Microsoft have won. Now, clearly, you can't put together a four point three billion dollar deal in like a couple of weeks, as far as I know. So it's not like this is a reaction to that, but it's a good it's a good uh, illustrative footnote to to that sort of thing. And I think also, as as I'm wont to do, uh, you know, when I'm kind of in a groggy state of mind, I like to closely read press releases that, that I come across on my little phone as the kids are complaining about whose turn it is to watch Power Rangers or, uh, you know, little trash cans talking to each other. Yeah, man, they love that one. Like there's, there's a couple of shows now that basically have like cylinders, like whether they're like these Japanese things that make you guess like what kind of animal they are. Or it's some new thing Netflix has where these cylinders are talking. They love that shit. Like, they're all over it. Anyways, or Puffins, that Puffin Rock thing. What's up with that show? But anyway, so you're reading a press release. <laughs> and, uh, and and I think, I think credit to Rackspace. They're still on all over this managed uh, public cloud uh, strategy. That, that's kind of like the, the phrase they name-checked over and over again. So, you know... Uh, I recall back in maybe this is 2014 when they kind of rep- Rackspace repositioned what they were doing from, uh, I guess the implicit phrase was generic public cloud or unmanaged public cloud to managed public cloud. And, you know, they, I, I, I've always been curious to check in on the DevOps managed service that they have where you can pay them to like run your whole CI, CD thing mm-hmm. and like do all your DevOps and other things like that. But I think it, at least at least. And I'm not saying this again to be a dick about it. I'm just saying it. I'm contextualizing what I'm saying from a from a PowerPoint perspective. Using the asset that Rackspace has, of we will go over the top to like take care of you, and applying that to a cloud situation, hence a managed cloud thing that seems to make sense. So so hopefully, and I guess they sold off. Um, was it was it TextDrive? Is that what what they sold off? They called it something new, but or SliceHost. They sold off their cloud hosting stuff recently, if I remember. Uh, they did. I think so. That that was that was like a month ago or so. We'll have to look Slice that up. Slicehost was, it. yeah. Slicehost was the foundation of their cloud stuff. Yeah, that there, was V one of their public cloud. There, there's some like generic then, web hosting thing. I think they divested of, or maybe they were rumored to divest of it. Or or was it was it Jungle Disk? Their storage stuff. Uh, I think I think they. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways. But, but I, I, I could don't see, let facts get in our way. Yeah, I, I think I think I think without without to, to that point without knowing the the financials very well or having covered them, I think I think they had a uh, you know an AOL dial up situation where and I'm going to get both sides of this analogy wrong, but it illustrates the point where like you know at some point AOL had a huge amount of revenue coming in from dial up stuff, and they're like we're an internet company, and they you know that 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 kind of weird numbers thing screwed with them, and I imagine Rackspace is in a similar situation where. Their traditional or some would say legacy business probably had a ton of revenue and people get mm-hmm. focused on how you're going to manage that and what you're going to do with it. And they're like, meantime, we need to build up this new thing. And Wall Street's like, I don't give a fuck. Screw off. Right. And, and so <laughs> like, you know, that that's the reoccurring narrative we have in a lot of these things. The, the reoccurring positive narrative, despite my franchising and dockhand talking there, 
is that like in, in order to uh, go back to the labs and invent our future, we have to get out of the uh, the searing glare of uh, of investors and go private. Uh, I, I mean, Rexpace was managing uh, the largest VMware uh, deployment, mm. um, or at least you know publicly known VMware deployment uh, outside of VMware. Was that was and, that your uh, uh, your Beowulf cluster that you were running? <laughs> No, no, I, I wasn't. wasn't my 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 stuff. It probably wasn't held together with Legos either. Mm. Um, no, but it was. Uh, you know, they had some you know, ridiculous number of of you know VMware certified engineers and you know running you know thousands of of hypervisors uh, to manage you know other people's VMware infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, and and they they have but, they have uh, other managed businesses like they'll run your uh, your like Magento stuff or your Adobe something or another enterprise system and. All sorts of interesting stuff going on there in Escalator Land. Well, yeah. Kote, just to give you uh, some numbers here, um, AWS in Q2 posted 2.88 billion in revenue, and I think you know analysts are Q2. projecting it to Q2, and analysts I think are projecting it to be about a 10 billion dollar uh, business, you know, uh, annualized on the annualized yeah. basis. So, yeah. so it kind of gives you. I mean, to your point, right? I mean, I guess the purchase price was what four point. Six four point three. So it gives, kind of gives you a sense. Let's be precise here. So it gives you a sense of uh, yeah, let, exactly. Let's not get our facts wrong on this podcast. Uh, it gives you, it does give you kind of an interesting sense of, you know, clearly, you know, not on the growth path that AWS is. But then again, no one is right. No one's really on that growth path. So, um, but as I always like to say at this moment, it relieves them of the strategy tax. They can now just go service a very profitable business and. Either the PE firm will reinvest that money in buying someone else, or you know maybe let them go build something new. And of course, like they're huge, you know, uh, supporters of OpenStack, right? You know, I mean, it seems like they have a huge contingent of people working on it. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, I don't know, PE and open source don't always mix real well. So it'll be interesting to see how the the racker culture evolves well, but, around that. But yeah, I mean, and to bring up OpenStack, that was one of the problems. Rackspace had was you know they were watching Amazon pull away, um, you know years ago, and you know they they made their money running other people's things, you know doing managed you know managed hosting of VMware, managed hosting of LAMP stacks, managed you know other things, and and OpenStack was the first time that they were like we're going to have to write something new, and you know part of the strategy behind OpenStack was we're going to open source this. Because we don't have the engineering power to catch up with with Amazon, and maybe we can you know crowdsource and and you know community our way to having uh, a better offering. I mean that was that was you know at launch that was the goal. Like you know Rackspace open sourced their their object storage. NASA, who you know they weren't in the business of cloud, open sourced their cloud, and uh, you know they were going to try to use that to to competitively catch up and. Uh, and and just you know the last week or two, um, you know the the new OpenStack Summit is uh, starting to I don't know is it uh, I guess they're in the mid summit right now, but uh, there are some articles in in uh, in the show notes about uh, questioning the future of OpenStack. Um, you know now that OpenStack's tr- starting to get tangled into uh, Kubernetes with with the Stackinetis project, there's you know. S- Fewer vendors involved than there had been before. You know what? What makes sense for the future of OpenStack? Um, just uh, 
uh, recently, uh, Intel announced or kind of talked about a, a new open source project they have um, called Chow, um, and it stands for like cloud cloud something or other. But it was the the impetus of the developers of it were like, if we were starting cloud, if we were starting a, a public a private cloud product today, what would it look like? And so. Uh, I think I put in the show notes maybe two shows or so ago. We didn't really talk about it much. And it's not like taking off like OpenStack or anything, but it reflects the fact that if you were starting today, it would have a much stronger container focus. Yeah. Um, and and probably, probably have to spend a lot less time caring about the hardware. You know, that was one of the things about OpenStack is like every hardware vendor had their fingers in, in the pie and, you know, had to make sure that it supported every hypervisor, every networking device, every storage vendor. And, you know, when you start to bring in, you know, if every vendor in the industry is working on the same project, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, clear, clearly no one wants a finger pie, right? Like that's that you, you want something else in that pie. <laughs> but uh, let's just pause for laughter there. But, you know, th- this, this makes me think, Two two little scenarios we should just, uh, as they say, solutioneer out. Which is, which is like so. What in un, under what circumstances, or or, or or you know, what what scenario, what story can we concoct where where everything panned out well, right? Like so. So you just kind of the, the impetus was like you know NASA's like well eucalyptus doesn't work and I don't want to pay VMware a lot of money. I assume that's kind of what the uh, the NASA position was. And Rackspace was like, how's it going, buddy? Uh, and so, like, they they sort of launch on this thing. And this is a narrative that year by year is confirmed or denied by various people, right? It's just like, we didn't want to pay VMware and Eucalyptus didn't work, but we needed a cloud. We didn't want to use AWS. So we got together with OpenStack, and NASA's, NASA's position was like, we need this software. And then Rackspace's thing was strategically like, well, now we compete with a- we can compete with AWS, right? Like, we're going to build a public cloud. And... And then kind of an ancillary thing, which, you know, uh, at the time, people I would talk with, including myself at the place I was working to be obtuse about it, it was sort of like, well, if we have this stack, we also don't have to pay VMware. It helps us compete against AWS, and we can hustle up some of our hardware to sell private cloud stuff. It was sort of like situation one was like, we'll build OpenStack, and it will prevent Amazon from getting to a $10 billion run rate essentially <laughs> as as we just covered so like do you do you think that was ever realistic like what uh what what do you guys think was that ever going to pan out or was that just like i mean obviously t- hindsight is everything in 2020 and all that but like was that yeah was that a real situation and was there a way that it could su- succeed i mean the examples you could bring up from the past were things like you know linux taking down the unixes but you know, it never took down Windows, um, and you know, you you had uh, there were lots of open source successes out there, but mo- and the strength of a lot of the open source successes were mimicking commercial things, and, and so you had some folks who were like, "We just need to copy everything Amazon does," and mm. then you know, and uh, they. They lost that argument, I mean, you know that that proposal, and and so uh, you know there there was always a lag behind the features, and then because they were trying to support so many different variants of everything, it just bogged down. Um, was it? There were a lot of true believers, um, you know, and I was one of them at at 
for for a fair amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I don't think it was ever going to win. I, I think even back then I thought it would be it would be a viable third option. You know, because in a lot of markets there's there's your first mover, your best, and your cheapest. And um, the problem in this market in cloud is Amazon is usually all three. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, if, if, you know, it made it, and OpenStack just kind of, there were too many, you know, too many fingers in the pie, uh, just couldn't get it together. And the public clouds that, that did stand up, you know, they, they didn't stand up at the scale and, you know, they just could not keep up. And, and you know, OpenStack is still out there. There's still plenty of businesses making money, but there are a lot of that have, you know, fallen by the wayside. We'll it's a lot. That. I think it's a lot like the uh, central planning versus capitalism kind of argument. I think you know, OpenStack suffered from massive central planning. Like we're going to do all these things, and there's a strategy, and then we're going to not have to pay these people. Versus, like if you look at containers, it's just started with a very small problem that there was a lot of pent up demand, and then like from containers now is growing container management, and you know, kind of like. But it started at the beginning from solving a really specific problem. And I think, you know, it's kind of back to like, yeah, you can on a whiteboard, you could draw out why OpenStack would be great. But I think everyone kind of left and was like, well, that doesn't really exist today. And I don't know. And there's a lot of boxes on that document. Like, I just got to get some stuff done. And then someone shows up with containers and is like, wow, this is really great. I can just throw everything in there. I'm just going to do that right now. And then, you know, it grows that way. And then the market kind of, you know, makes its selection. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean that that seems that seems to be the reoccurring theme nowadays is just it's too complicated. And th- and then as a secondary thing like you're saying it's like and and uh and uh it's not what we want now. Which which brings up the uh the you see how I weaseled out of saying what I think the scenario is? That's that's very artful of me. And that brings up the uh, the second scenario, right? Which is sort of like as I was typing here in the notes like, "Oh, containers. We should have thought of that." Like it, it seems like, like I, I, I don't know if this is just another like you know, uh, uh, I don't know, theory du jour, right? But it does seem like, as ever, you know, Docker and containers have just like throw a lot of thrown a lot of confusion into the worlds of everyone except uh, Amazon, right? It's sort of like ah, I don't. In fact, that's what the most recent like uh, I, I forget the name of the person who wrote it, but you know, the most recent OpenStack is dead again person was like oh but i just want containers so this thing's useless and it 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 does seem like it's it's an application of one of those uh one of those like uh you got to be careful what you plan for because you might just get it and then it turns out the market doesn't want that at the end and so you know i mean that scenario is more around i guess the way of putting it is there's something wrong with the nimbleness of the openstack community that didn't let them just very quickly morph into handling that Right. Like I think and I don't know, but correct me if I'm wrong, but arguably I don't know if containers really hurt AWS. Like they're just kind of neutral. And so somehow yeah. containers came about and specifically probably Docker and AWS just took it in stride. Like it was it was no big deal. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, people just run their Docker instances on, on AWS EC2 nodes. So, you know, problem solved. And you know, uh, Amazon has their ECS service. They launched that fairly early. Um, I don't think it is. Yeah, I don't know anything about the numbers on that. But anecdotally, I don't hear a ton of people using it. 
because most people just stand up their EC2 instances and manage their own Docker, you know, or Kubernetes or, or what what have you on top of that. Um, and, and and you know, it's been hammered on by by us uh, old Unix graveyards that uh, uh, you know containers weren't a new thing, but what Docker did was they made them accessible. You know, because uh, even even with OpenStack, I was using it with LXC, literally like the bear release, this the cactus release. You're using it with you know Linux containers, where you had this hyper fast you know virtualization, and you know I was loving it. I was like, this LXC is the future. You know why aren't why isn't everyone using this technology? And uh, you know it took a while to you know move over to Docker and, and but but just the user experience um, you know just catching that that you know that that uh, sole focus that's what differentiated it and OpenStack never had a sole focus. You know, it was just mm-hmm. we're gonna solve all the things and and maybe that's that's where, you know, they lost their way. Um, you know, they're they're going to have a lot of volume of machines managed with OpenStack, just, you know, by virtue of the long tail and the fact that there's still going to be a lot of private cloud. And, you know, OpenStack's not going away, it's just not going to win, and it's not going to be, you know, the the number three when it comes to public cloud. You know, maybe it's the number three when it comes to private cloud. Um, I don't know. You know, this brings up another point, which which is... uh and you know all of us all of us suffer from this in one way or another i don't know who us is but just whatever uh which is uh we often like over rotate on like on like vision which is to say like and 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 i was thinking of this cuz i think i think brandon would have some good input from his his uh, 9 to 5 space right like so in the I- area of like identity management and all that stuff like how often do do like when when you get involved in like meetings and discussions is like some some really hot and sexy but like ultimately two percent market share idea. How often does that like ensnare your like you know ninety eight percent normal market share? It's to put it another way, it's sort of like well that was a delightful ninety minutes about the future, but now let's talk about Active Directory. <laughs> I would say you know it's like a daily occurrence. In fact, before this uh, our uh, recording today, I you know to take you back in your your life, Cote, I was uh, filling out like a trend survey for an analyst. I won't say who, but they basically wanted us to they listed like twenty eight questions, and they have to list like five trends for each section, right? Mm. And um, so you know, in these pieces, it's kind of nice because they really tell you like, don't talk about the vendor. They're just saying we don't care about your stuff. We just want ideas for our research, and they're gonna you know consolidate it and come up with these things. So you can kind of I feel like you can just speak more freely in them, which is kind of fun for me. And so like the first two things I said were like all the stuff that we think we're we're solving today, like we still that's what's important. Like no one's really solving that. Like you know before we get on to like IoT and um, you know kind of just back to like simple. Uh, you know, uh, two-factor authentication, like all these things that are, you know, generally kind of boring to talk about if you live in this industry are still the main problems that like normal people are wrestling with every single day. Um, and I think the same probably applies, you know, just like cloud and containers. It's like, it's never the new stuff like Docker management. It's like all these people struggling with VMware, right? And that's the problem mm-hmm. here now. So, you know, there's always a struggle though, right? Though, like there's, you know, and you know, I, like, I kind of call it sustaining product management or product janitor work where it's like, yes, like you just need, need to make 
the current product kind of do what you said it would do, right? And like deliver on that message. But you do need to have this eye to the future not to get blindsided by things because that's what your executives are going to be asking about. They're going to be asking about what's in the news, right? Your users are going to be talking about like, why does this UI and this one little thing so hard to use? So, you know, you're always struggling with that when you're dealing with software products. Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, we got that one cinched up. Just <laughs> throw, throw a shovel full on the grave, I guess. But I do, you know, but again, I think back to the Docker thing, right? Back to the, like, if you're, you know, if you can choose, right? I mean, if you can, you know, if you're trying to start a company and you just want to see what's going to succeed, right? It normally is the thing that hits latent need, right? And it's very hard to predict. Like, now we look back at containers and Matt Ray's like, he just told that story. He knew about it. And then, like, there's even people here at IBM. They'll talk about the mainframe. And they'll be like, yeah. well, we had all this. And they've been saying, it's like, I get it, guys. I get it. It's always been there. But, like, I don't understand how it happens. The conditions get right. It's like a fire. Like, the conditions are right. You know, no one really knows. There's all these books written. Nobody really knows what how they get created. And then, boom, it happens. And it's like, wow. Like, why didn't it, why did that take so long, right? Like, Uber, like, oh man, we should have had this cat thing like a, you know years ago. It was like, I don't know, you know, somehow the conditions were right and it happened. So I just think, you know, I've become more and more like, you don't control that, right? And it's like, even if you see it, it's just all these other things have to happen. So like, if you're thinking about a project, it's almost like look more around outwardly. Like, do the conditions look especially right for this thing to happen? Maybe today, um, like for example, if someone did start a new project, and you're going to tell me about Ray, it probably already exists, but like. What if someone just said today, I'm just going to match Amazon API for API. It's 100% exact copy, right? And that's all we're ever going to do, right? Kind of like Linux. Linux, maybe 100% copy of, you know, whatever, Solaris or, you know, BSD or whatever, very close to that. Like if someone started that today, I don't know. Maybe it's because maybe they'd find that a lot of the stuff in AWS isn't being used. And there's like 10 or 20% of the stuff that really matters. And like if they just got that right, could be a really disruptive project. So, and now I don't know, Matt Ray, who's doing that? Is someone already doing that? Is there already a project for that? Eucalyptus. I mean, Eucalyptus. But I thought they gave up. Or are they still? They didn't it? give up. They were acquired. But you know, the company was acquired okay. by HP. But they they had a, a tacit license. You know, and I say tacit because it was always like, we're not going to sue you. <laughs> oh, um, Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, with, with we'll, Amazon. We're watching, but it's okay. Yeah, and and you know that. Because of other things like you know the GPL and the corporate history, that was why you know whatever. That's why it didn't take off. Um, you know, in, in the Unix space, uh, there's there is a uh, an open source version of Solaris that you know there was open Solaris, and then you know Sun kind of or Oracle kind of un unopen sourced it as much as they could, and there's uh, OmniOS that you know tries to maintain binary compatibility on the open side but you know it's kind of a, a mirror project um you know and and postgres you've got your enterprise db which is you know mimicking the uh, oracle apis um and, you know so there there's there's traction there but you know the the copies never outpace the the originals um and and, and so you know you can carve out a nice little niche but uh, and and there's an open source Google App Engine. There, there, you know, there's lots of open source things out there that duplicate the effort, but they can't ever innovate. And so, you know, if you're not innovating, you're not really ever going to outpace the original. Um, 
And then, you know, Linux outpaced the Unixes by, you know, innovating on supporting white boxes, supporting just everything under the sun, and then eventually moving past the, you know, the APIs that, um, you know, moving past a lot of the legacy stuff and, and you know, bringing in a lot more development. Um, and, I, and I think that's why, you know, it's been said that open source is one, and it's because, you know, now people realize, well, even if I innovate something new closed, it's going to get copied fast. And if, if I don't open source it, eventually that copy may keep up. And, and you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, Amazon isn't, you know, this may be hearsay, but uh, Amazon doesn't have the best APIs. <laughs> they don't have the best products. Um, what they have is the best, you know, company behind them that just drives them and markets them and gets you know, they, they are, you know, they are a 900-pound gorilla, you know, who knows, who's very smart and knows what they're doing. Um, but technically, you know, technical product, the best technical product never, rarely is the winner. But on Amazon, like, how much do you think of all these APIs they have out there? Like, my guess is that the core AWS base uses just a fraction of, yeah. like, all the stuff there, right? And that's really the core business. And all this other stuff is more aspirational, which makes it, again, like if you're like at Amazon, which is if you wanted to attack it, would be, hey, Amazon's trying to go more and more broad with all, all these different APIs. But like, what is the core thing? Like, is it just as simple as like, hey, setting up EC2 servers and people just kind of running their own stuff and all this other stuff is kind of noise and it's just sort of like there's this core thing and they may be even getting far away from it by adding so much more, so many other services on top of it. But but it's not. So, so if Amazon has... I last count I was like 65 services something like that you know maybe it's 80 I don't know but if every customer uses 7 and there are four that almost everybody uses the fact is there's still three that are hooking people into Amazon you know they're like you know they really dig route 53 or they really dig you know something that you wouldn't know is is the thing that gets them there um because they have that breadth you know, even though you know their, you know their uh, load balancing, their application load balancing service might not be as fully featured as you know buying, uh, you know some other commercial application load balancer. You know, buying, you know, rolling your own HA proxy or, or using uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, traditional vendors in that space who now have a cloud offering. Even if it's not better, it's like, well, it just that breadth and coverage is why I'm here. So you can't attack five things because you're going to be missing 60. Um, and people who are, you know, they might show up and get the four things they want, but the, the fact that you're still missing three, they're going to, you know, not not going to have that stickiness. What Amazon has is they are the everything store for the cloud. You know, they everything you need is there. And if there's some edge case you don't have, they're the ones who are going to have it. You know, they're the ones who are going to add it. And, and and when they add that edge case, because they have, you know, a million customers, oh, your edge case only has 10,000 users. Mm. <laughs> I do come back, though. I mean, as you're just talking there, I always come back to your strengths or your weaknesses. And, you know, as, as you were talking there, I thought a little bit about, like, just Microsoft Word. It's like, I don't know how many features Microsoft Word has now, like hundreds, thousands. And it's like every one of them is used by someone. But it's also the opportunity to, you know, offer something simpler, right? Pull all this crap out. And, you know, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, 
and again, like I, I agree, like it is a strength of Amazon's, but I think that is again, like if you're open looking for a weakness, would be, hey, today it's eighty, maybe next year it's two hundred. It's you know it become again this leads to the complexity right and this yeah. can potentially become the thing like hey like digital ocean right or something where it's like we just do you know they were like the racks they're like the latest or were the latest incarnation like we just do this one thing really simple and it's like even it's even cheap cheaper than Amazon maybe that's not true anymore at least at one point it was um, so I don't know it's just interesting to watch right it's like you can't have it all right you can't be everything if you're going to have it all that's a great benefit but it's also a weakness so it'll be interesting to, you know of course to see how it plays out yeah I, I, I think I think your 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 word thing it brings up brings together a few uh, well in addition to itself because originally it was one point but a few points uh, recursively that I was just thinking of. And, and you know, this this is a common theme that we have and something I consternate over all the time is like, why is innovation so fucking hard, right? Like, why why is it hard to come up with something? And I think your Word example gets to that, where, like, when I think about, like, Word versus Google Docs versus what I understand Office 365 is, like, Google Docs isn't, like, fantastic. And, in fact, it's pretty much like a a lame copy of Word, but what's really nice about Google Docs and has been nice about them over years, at least for me, is one, like it's it's in the cloud. And what and what in that instance, what that means is that like it's saved somewhere, like not on a hard drive. Like if I'm working on a Google Doc thing and people when I worked at Dell were always deathly afraid of this, right? Like I've got the big meeting for my executive tomorrow and my laptop just died on me. Right. And and it's just like, well, I don't know why you weren't using Dropbox. I mean, I know why you were because you're not allowed to, but blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, it's just like there's like this safety. And then what comes with that is like versioning the document, all sorts of stuff. It's like why Dropbox is awesome. But then the other part that's really nice about Google Docs is like the collaboration mode. Right. Like you don't have to email around like, you know, big PowerPoint underscore one dot three dot five that Bob sent me dot pptx right like you can actually collaborate on this one central thing and it's really powerful right and then so that's why i would always want to use google docs and then so you look at word and you're like well you got a lot of programmers why don't you just like add that into word right like you you understand the internet starting way back in the late 90s and just add like this little piece of code that like does all that and then you've got this huge existing market and then you can kill off google docs and it seems like <laughs> It like took them a lot, as I understand it, over the past couple of years, you could actually do that in Word. I've never actually done it myself, which is kind of a testament to the point, but it's like, uh, why didn't they just do that, right? And and it's kind of this point of like, there's there seems to be some obvious good feature that an incumbent can easily add, and like, why don't they just do that, right? And the other the other point, like, and and you know. The thing I was thinking about when we were discussing this is I was reading earlier today or yesterday that like like Uber has some quarterly call with its investors and numbers leak out of it. And there's some calculation that over the past seven years, they've lost $4 billion of money, which I, I assume doesn't include money invested in them that they've spent. So let's just let's just round it up to $5 billion. It's probably a little more and say like over the to make the market and the business that they have uber has spent 7 billion dollars over the past 7 years a billion dollars a year right and if you think about it like all of the existing car services they didn't have to they don't have to build up a market from from the beginning all they i'm putting this in air quotes all they have to do is build like a mobile application and then build the uh the sort of network effects around it 
But if someone had thought of that, it sure as hell wouldn't cost them $7 billion to do, right? Because what Uber has to do is like build up this entire business from scratch, which costs that much money, right? And so it's this weird situation, again, like with Microsoft, like Microsoft probably wouldn't have had to spend as much money. This is a bad thing because they'd have to build out the data centers, which is different. But like there's all these situations where like the incumbents, they actually wouldn't have to do that much to like try out this innovation. And why I point that out is like, when you go talk with someone, the first thing they complain about when they should try out innovation is like, oh, it'll be too expensive. <laughs> like, like they don't want to spend the money on it. Whereas in fact, like I'm pretty sure with most incumbents, it would be cheaper for them to try to do this innovation than like all these disruptors that come and like have to burn $7 billion to like compete against them. So it's like yet another weird instance of like, you should just try to do new things and it's probably cheaper in the long run, but you don't. I don't know what's what's what the problem is. But but actually I think the converse to that is true. If if you look at not all the new features, but you know, a fair number of the new features coming out of Amazon are uh they are new Amazon services. They are copies of things that have been done elsewhere. Mm. You know, like you know, the latest was application load balancing. That was something that you know has been in their marketplace for a while, fairly popular. They saw what worked, they copied it. That was Microsoft's strategy for the longest time. You know, things that you know, they're like, oh, you know, you guys, you guys have a nice database there. We'll put out a database too, and uh, you know, we'll call it SQL Server, and you know, it'll suck at first, and then you know, over the years, we'll continue to refine it. You know, Word started as a you know imitation of Word Perfect, or you know. Right. Whatever it was back at the time, you know, and so Microsoft have had a fast follower model for the longest time, and I think that's maybe a better model. Once you have a certain size, if you can, if you no, can be a fair. fast follower without, you know, without worrying about, uh, you know, um, disrupting yourself, you know, that's probably a safer model. You know what I mean? Yeah. Amazon no, I, 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 I mean, I. I, 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 guess, I guess to close out and summarize that top that 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 idea, it's sort of like, and and maybe this is what I what I stress out over is, it doesn't seem when financial people evaluate a company, they put enough value on can come up with new ideas, <laughs> right? Like whether whether that's through acquisition or spending money on R and D, and maybe they do. Maybe that's why companies like Apple and Google and everyone have like such such a huge valuation is that's kind of b- baked into their valuation price. But it seems like somehow that's a core function of almost every business. And even from a meta layer, I don't know if we have a good framework for identifying when a business should be good at doing that, right? Like we don't know when, when you should identify, like you should start coming up with new stuff. It's sort of like, I mean, I, I think, I, think I, I often file back in my head, I forget how much they paid for it, but at some point Microsoft acquired PowerPoint and that's probably one of the best acquisitions in tech history, right? Like if you think about the ubiquity of PowerPoint and where it is, like I think they just paid like a you know, few million dollars for it. And obviously it's made a ton of money a- after that. But on that note, let's go into recommendations. What's, what's your recommendation other than, other than spending a lot of money on R&D and uh, innovation, which I think we can all clearly recommend and agree on? What's, what's your recommendation this week, Brandon? A recommendation as well. Um, this is for Matt Ray because he's far away from American football. But um, tomorrow, or tonight, in fact, uh, at least tonight here in the United States, uh, there's going to be the first college football game of the year is being played in Australia. Uh, 
Uh, I don't know which show you. I should have looked it up. It's going to be between uh, <laughs> University of California, Cal Bears versus the uh, uh, University of Hawaii. I think uh, Hawaii's the Warriors. And so uh, they're kicking off the season a whole full week in advance, way down under. And so I, I was telling somebody, I was like, I guess I would never say Australia is close to anything. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> As uh, you know, you're, I know you're at least a Texas college football fan. So uh, you know, there they are. I just wanted you to know, college football has come to you this year, at least to the continent you're on, and uh, you know maybe you can enjoy uh, American football uh, somewhere on a, I guess a Australian Saturday uh, for you. What, what is that? The, 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 the NCAA, the NCAA got the memo that Matt Ray was moving. So they're, they're, they're yeah, yeah, they did. They're they, throwing uh, a they bone to one, you. One football yeah. game for you. So enjoy Matt Ray. That game's for you. Well. Thank you. Uh, this is actually the first I've heard of it. <laughs> so, so um, clearly those amateur athletes need to do a better job getting the word out. <laughs> Look into Twitter. That's what they need to do. Uh, yeah, yeah. How, how about yourself, Matt? What's your recommendation this week? Uh, well, um, I've, I've seen a lot of new stuff this week, and uh, I, I'm... I'm, I'm trying to understand sports in Australia. Uh, <laughs> um, apparently, I'm going to like offend all the Australians, or maybe I'll offend the New Zealanders. Um, I, I'm trying to understand rugby. There are three versions of rugby, and I don't know the difference between any of them. So um, my pick is, if someone knows, <laughs> is a call for help. <laughs> Like, where can a dumb American learn about rugby? Uh, because my flight to New Zealand, um, the uh, a, fr- a friend of mine was actually in Sydney and went and saw Australia and New Zealand play, and apparently New Zealand crushed Australia. And then Australia, w- the Australian team, uh, was on the plane, was on the flight with me to uh, to Wellington, and uh, you know they didn't look too dejected. Um, <laughs> But uh, I guess you know, most professional athletes you know, take it all in stride. Um, but yeah, I, I, rugby it looks more um, it looks a little more physical than football, uh, just because they're not wearing armor, you know, right. and they're not wearing pads. Um, so I don't really have a pick. I just I, I, I want to learn more about uh, this uh, kind of brutal looking sport. Um, but they do call uh, they do call soccer. They call it soccer here. Oh, so finally, someone got the memo on for that. Australian rules football, which yeah. is also very different from rugby. Well, you know, you know, in your favor, I think, I think, as of maybe was it two thousand three or two thousand four, you are a certified scrum master, so you might know something about that, right? You got you know about story points and retrospectives, so that must figure in somehow, right? And and yeah, then something yeah. about the pitch. There's the pitch, right? Isn't that a is, see? I know a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you need that help too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have two recommendations this week. One of them is something that uh, that Matt Ray actually included in our sl- show notes. So the the Boston Consulting Group has, I think, a pretty good write up on uh, on on like bimodal IT, maybe dead or unadvisory. And um, 
you know, I think I think about every month now, uh, someone has to write up how bimodal IT is bad. That's that's not Gartner. Uh, and but this is actually a pretty good. Uh, I think it's a well considered, nicely written article that that discusses a lot of the context and stuff that you would expect from BCG. So uh, I, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But I think it's called something like uh, the organization, the end of two speed IT, if you want to Google for it. And then the other thing I'll recommend is, uh, man, I don't know why I started doing this, but. I, I started reading the uh, the Wizard of Oz series because, like, you know, I, I just rolled off reading some other books. Your son or? No, just to myself. Because I was like, you, you know what I want most nights is I just want, like, something I can read that's really unchallenging and just kind of entertaining. And yet kind of lazily fills out that checkbox of, like, stuff I should do. And I've never really read all the Wizard of Oz books. And I'm, I'm like, midway through maybe the second book, which is a little, like, uh, if I can give some notes on it. It's, it's it's a little stilted and not as good as the first one. So maybe... A note, Frank Baum. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> but I Get think, your shit together. I, you know, what yeah. I would say about them is they're, they're, uh, they're very fast-paced. A lot, even faster paced than like I read uh, Raw Doll books to my son nowadays, and they're even more fast paced than that. So I think I think kids actually could uh, pay attention to it because I find I find with a lot of um, traditional kids entertainment, be it anything from uh, from a book like Raw Doll to even Jurassic Park, the original movie, like they spend so much time doing character development and establishing stuff that my son's just like, nope, let's read that dinosaur book instead. Right. Like, whereas the Wizard of Oz stuff, like it very quickly moves along and gets to other stuff. And you can buy like the complete collection for like 99 cents on Amazon. I'm sure you can get it for free, but, you know, it's nicely curated as a Kindle thing. So that's uh, that's my recommendations for this week. Bimodal IT and Jack Pumpkinhead. Look into it. Well, the the thing about bimodal IT is is maybe um, I mean, I I think uh, Gardner wanted it. Uh, it to be like a positive thing. Yeah. And now like in a lot of conversations, people just tag things as, Oh, well that's, that that's mode one thinking, you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> and so now it's just shorthand for doing it wrong, you know, for, for, you know, Oh, you're just doing it the old school way as totally. opposed to, you know, they were like, Oh, you can have both at the same time. And now people are just like, no, got, you know, get, get rid of that mode one thinking. Um, which probably wasn't the intended effect, but, uh, they're definitely they've set that thought in you know that uh, meme or whatever is is definitely caught on. Yeah, yeah, you know, not the way they intended. No, I I mean, I mean you know to to open a, a, a to or or I guess to peer into a whole can of worms, right? Like like and and also what my daily editorial agenda life is like. Like uh, I w- I was reviewing a uh, or I should say uh, just looking at entertaining myself by writing marginalia and into a little thing that that our our uh, our, our friend Bridget was writing about bimodal IT and and it was it was like I, I even wrote up kind of the sentiment in one of my register columns uh, if, if you want to go look that up but it's sort of like to Matt Ray's point like when most people talk and complain about bimodal IT I'm pretty sure they're just complaining about like Gartner they're just like I don't like Gartner <laughs> right and 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 like th- there isn't a broader consideration of like uh, well, it all depends, right? Which it's hard to write like a, a polemic about it depends. And I think, you know, it also like Gartner doesn't really help themselves out here because it's sort of like, I would be happy to explain that to you for $10,000, right? I mean, there, there actually are some webinars you can go look at for free that kind of explain all this stuff away. But it's just like, 
I don't know. Like, like if, if you focus on the idea that uh, that all you can do is this mode one functioning, the as as Bridget magically came up with sad IT. Like, I don't think anyone really is saying well, you should operate in mode one forever. Like the the nuance of it is a lot more like, well, if you have fifty units of doing work and you have fi- five hundred units of work that need to be done, time to start managing. Right. Like you've, you've got yeah. to make some choices about what you change over and what you don't change over and prioritize. And like, so that's a thing that happens in the world. <laughs> yep. Anyhow. And then and then, of course, in, in uh, entertaining myself with all this marginalia, I ended up writing a, uh, a polemic about ROI. So that's how stuff happens is like I plan to write on bimodal <laughs> IT and I, wrote, I complained about ROI instead. You can you can find that in my medium post. It's highly entertaining, I'm told. So with that, as always, this has been Software Defined Talk. You can find us at softwaredefinedtalk.com. This is episode number 70. So if you want to look up all those wonderful things we referenced, you can go to cote.io slash sdt70 to find the show notes. And and it would be great. We didn't do a mid-roll this episode, so, you know, there's nothing to advertise. But it'd be great if you wanted to uh, refer us to your friends, write write little recommendations in iTunes. I haven't gone to check to see if we've broken through the seven reviews glass ceiling, or it might be an iTunes ceiling. But it would be nice if you did that. That just means that more people will listen to us and and things like that. And always, it's always nice, as, as Matt Ray was talking about, uh, whether we're in New Zealand or somewhere else, if you just tell us in real life that you listen to it. And then that's that's the only payment we get. And so far, what has been uh, sufficing us, so to speak, uh, to, to keep going. And also because I like to hear myself talk and, and edit audio. So we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.